What if you could have more fulfillment and ease in your professional and personal life and still be ambitious? Join me, Kathy Onetto, founder of Sustainable Ambition, for conversations with experts, authors, and friends on what it means to live with sustainable ambition. Learn concepts, tips, and tools to craft a fulfilling career on your terms while still being ambitious and avoiding burnout. For show notes from this episode, visit sustainableambition.com slash podcast. Now, let's learn more to help you craft your career to support your life from decade to decade. On to today's conversation. Give the gift of sustainable ambition this holiday. During the season, on my website, I'm offering 20% off both the Sustainable Ambition Workbook and Planner and my little book of curiosity. The workbook and planner is great for those who like to plan and appreciate structure. You can use the planner to help make the integration of life and work more sustainable. It helps you prioritize your life and work ambitions, create your personalized sustaining plan, and track your progress throughout the year. The planner can also be something you use with friends and colleagues to help support each other and provide accountability throughout the year. I offer a guide to help facilitate those conversations. Now, my little book of curiosity is perfect really for anyone wondering what might be next for their life or work, or for those who want to stay on a growth and learning curve and remain engaged and ambitious from decade to decade. It's the perfect small fun gift for any holiday celebration. You can learn more at sustainableambition.com slash books. That's sustainableambition.com slash books. Happy holidays. Welcome back, everyone. I am thrilled today to be joined again by Al D. Al was on episode 73, if you remember, and he is the founder of Better Work Labs, an organization focused on helping companies create cultures where their people can thrive. He is an author, speaker, podcast host, and researcher on workplace trends and talent development. Al's thinking and insights have been published in outlets such as Business Insider, The World Economic Forum, Inc., and Time Magazine. And he has a new podcast out called The Edge of Work, which I really love that name, Al. And I really appreciate the content and the scope of what you're focusing on in that. So thank you, Al, for being here again. And I just want to welcome you back to the show. Kathy, it's great to be back here. And thank you for the opportunity. I'm excited to talk more about all of these topics, which I I know you love talking about and I love talking about too. Exactly, exactly. So one of the reasons I wanted to have Al back is because we got so enamored in like their last conversation. Enamored may not be the right word, but you know, we got really into it and had a great conversation and we didn't end up going that deep on actually sustainable ambition is kind of a term and a topic. And I know Al, you had a lot you can share on this topic. So I was excited to come back and talk about it more. And then I'm sure we'll delve into some other topics as well in this conversation. But I'd love to start there because what's been really interesting to me about sustainable ambition since I started it and started to be in conversation more with people is that people bring their own meaning to this term. And so I I think of it as, and I really appreciate about this term, but there's a little bit of complexity and depth to what sustainable ambition means and can mean for different people. So I was curious to hear from you, even when you hear sustainable ambition, like how do you think about it? When I think about it, it actually reminds me of an experience I had in my own career. Uh, It was back when I was at Salesforce and I had been there about a year 
I had just gotten promoted and I'd step into a new role. And after about the first six months or so, after things had been going well, I I remember coming to this realization of at that point in my life, I was probably about 29, 29 or 30. And I had actually achieved all the things that I had said that I had wanted to achieve from what I remember from growing up. I'd gotten to a good college and had done well there. I'd gotten a really good first job. I'd gotten an MBA. I had worked at top companies. And so I just started having these questions around, well, what am I actually going to do? And at the time, I was working at a company that was about 40,000 employees. And while I knew I was doing well, I also knew that I wasn't going to be the CEO anytime soon. And I was okay with that. Like I realized I was okay with that. I mean, I think I, I always had in the back of my head that I would quote unquote rise to the top one day, whatever that meant. Uh, but it was becoming very, very clear and very apparent at that point in time that that was at least within the context of a large organization probably wasn't going to be in the cards for me. And so I remember having a conversation with my manager one day and just having this conversation where they're kind of being like, listen, I'm I'm happy right now, but I I, I don't like... I don't really know what's next and I don't know what I should be optimizing for or working towards. And so she just like kind of in plain English asked me, well, you know, like, what do you want? You know, what, what, what do you define as success? And I didn't really have an answer. And so what essentially where I'm going with this is that it made me kind of go down this journey of self-discovery of really thinking about what that actually meant because I, I do think I had been intentional about making career decisions, but I don't necessarily think I had really deeply understood for myself, A, what were some of those things that I was optimizing for, and B, also on what kind of timeline. And so when I think about sustainable ambition, what really comes to mind is this idea of having the autonomy as well as the agency to define on your terms how you want to be ambitious. And and where you want to be ambitious in. And I think that opened up, and we can talk about it further, but it opened up a whole new aperture for me of thinking about what does success actually mean to me? I love this. And so part of what you're bringing up, out, like when I talk about sustainable ambition, to be honest, this is what kind of the core area where I thought about sustainable ambition, which is how does one stay engaged in their work from decade to decade and also how do you step back and really define it as you're saying, define success on your terms and really start to be able to, like you're saying, have that autonomy and agency to craft where you want to take your career and where you want to lean in and be ambitious as you're saying. And so there's that component of it, which I want to go into a little bit more. And then there's this other aspect of it, which we can come back to, which is like more, how do you sustain yourself while you're being ambitious? And so I love that your your manager also even asked you those questions because I think that you don't always have people who, you know, when someone like yourself comes to them and says, I'm not really sure what I'm shooting for, that they will even know to say as simply as that manager said to you, well, what do you want? And how do you define success? So what was that like for you when she even said that? You said like, well, I realized, and you we talked last time in our conversation how much self-reflection like you do and how important that is. But what was that like at that moment when she kind of turned on that light switch for you, if you will, and you kind of like realized like, actually it's dark in here. I don't, I don't know where I'm headed. I felt seen in, in a way of, I wouldn't quite, quite call it embarrassed, 
But, and it was because of what you just said. I had been someone who had always prided myself on being reflective. Uh, I, I, like, I, made, I made my name at uh, at Deloitte for being the career development person and for knowing how to grow a career. And I, I, I felt uh, exposed, exposed is the word I was looking for of like, oh, wow, like I don't have this thing and I'm, if I don't, I'm the guy who's supposed to have it all figured out. And I, I think that certainly was a little bit of self-talk in my head, but it, it really was a moment where I did really have to take a step back to then really go deeper into some of the tools that I have developed over the years to really think about, okay, well, 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 what I do, what, what do I do now? And so the initial kind of response to me was that maybe a little bit of a light amount of shame and embarrassment and being exposed. But eventually I I I I think I did come around to it. And and also I was grateful, you know, to what you're saying in terms of having a manager who was willing to ask a simple but incredibly powerful question at the time. And it it, it was just reflecting back on it now and certainly having more experience and also you know being able to go into organizations and work, I can give myself a little bit of space and grace on this, if only because we just are not necessarily designed in ways to really equip people to be able to have the agency and tools to make all of those decisions in a self-directed way. The best that we've gotten is being able to say, oh, it's a career lattice and you can go in your different direction, but no one really ever gives you the tools or the agency to figure out how you actually do that, right? And and I so I think that now with the benefit of hindsight, I can give myself a little bit of grace because it just was something I just never had to really truly like figure out from myself. I mean, I had external markers, right? And certainly the environments that I worked in, there were plenty of those, but some of that inner deep work, I had really never been able to been able to given a lot of tools and language to use to really figure that out on my own. I really appreciate that. And to maybe normalize this for people because Al, you and I are like-minded. I think both of us probably throughout our careers were being thoughtful as we went along and thought we were making strategic, smart decisions as we went from role to role, say, and made these various decisions about either going back to school or taking another role. And yet I experienced the same exact thing. And it was a little bit further along in my career, but I experienced the same thing of feeling this embarrassment of like, what? wait, I've been thoughtful. I've been planning. I've been doing re-education. And yet I kind of got to the stage of, oh, I thought there were all these different elements that I might test. And yet I got to a certain point where I was like, I'm not sure what is next from here. And I think I also lost my way at some point. I also started to, I think I actually earlier on in my career, listened a little bit more to myself and had a little bit more autonomy and agency. And then I started stepping more into the shoulds. And I think that's where I lost my way. And so I kind of had to reel back and kind of start to find some of what you're saying now, which is like, okay, at this stage now, how am I defining success for myself? Where do I want to go from here? So I'm curious, I'm kind of wondering actually like, maybe there are these moments in time where we just have these inflection points where, you know, I hear what you're saying and I want to dig into it more in terms of like, well, I don't know if we equip people for it, but I also just wonder, do you think there might be these moments in our career where we just end up kind of being at the end of a stage, if you will, 
And it just is calling forth like, yes, it's a it's a new time to kind of rethink as opposed to. So instead of us feeling bad about it, maybe it's just like, are these are there some normal kind of traditional arcs or horizons where we might hit what I call these inflection points? Yeah. Uh, yes, and I, I do think there are. And I think some of the more obvious examples is that you have a big, uh, big moment in your life in some kind of way, shape or form. Right. And that could be potentially joyous, like uh, marrying a spouse or partner, uh, having a, a newborn child, and certainly some more challenging ones like losing a loved one or facing a setback. Right. I think those are the ones that often will hit you right in the face. Because it's it's hard to in in those moments, I think it's it's hard to not start to question or wonder if this is a momentous time for you. So yes, there definitely are those moments, and I also think that there are and certainly there are different varying degrees on this, but I think there is an acceptance sometimes too that there are seasons of life, right? And 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 things change, life changes, right? You change, like humans uh, evolve uh, because of said big events, but also in small ways. I mean, your own lived experiences inform how you think and how you see the world, right? And so I think it was for me, if I'm reflecting back on it, more of just the adjustment that I made or the thing that came as an unlock for me was that it wasn't going to be a set it and forget it. It was going to be something that was, I needed to move to a more uh, sense and respond and continuous kind of way of thinking and operating around it. And, and I always love using that analogy of the career operating system. But you know, the thing that kind of lends to this well is this idea of just like your iPhone every now and then needs to get an upgrade, the OS needs to get an upgrade. Uh, so does your career, right? Because things happen, right? And you move in different ways. And so I think that that was the big shift that I had I had to make for myself. I really appreciate this. And I know we talked about this a little bit the last time, but I, I think that this fact that people don't come into managing their careers with this lens of knowing that they have to kind of readjust along the way. I don't know if it's, I mean, obviously we as humans don't like change. And yet I think that even in today's world, I really think that people step into their careers thinking that it's just like, oh, I found my path and I'm just going to keep going up. And they're not realizing still that they need to kind of do this iterative thinking. Is, is that what you find? Or do you think I'm off there? Do you think it's progressed and that people are actually stepping into kind of being in this kind of, hey, I need to make sure I'm upgrading my OS. So I'm continually paying attention and reflecting and kind of making changes here and there as I go along? Or do you think people are still struggling with this kind of mindset? Yeah, good question. But I will go back to to both and again. But here's here's where my thought process is and, and certainly would love to get your thoughts on this. I think one of the things that has helped in many ways is that we just talk about work and careers much more openly than we traditionally did decades ago. Now, to be completely fair, I wasn't around for what work was like in the 60s, but I have been told that LinkedIn, TikTok, Twitter, et cetera, did not exist then, and they exist now, right? And so I think part of it is the what we see around us and in the media and society, it, when you see that enough, it, it's hard to ignore it and not talk about it over the dinner table with your friends, with your peers, with your spouse, like et cetera. So what that does though, is that not only does it make it more front and center, but it actually starts to give people the language 
to do something about it because you don't know what you don't know, right? And, but I'm inclined to believe that there were certainly people back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s who probably did do this, right? I, I, I'm inclined to believe that. I, I really just do, even though I wasn't aware of it. Like, they, I, I believe it. But you didn't necessarily always hear about it, right? And part of the reason why it probably took however long it took to come up with this idea of the lattice is because it wasn't until 2000, I think, seven or 2008 when Kathy Benko, uh, former chair, vice chair at Deloitte, coined the book about the lattice that really gave people this idea and the permission to start thinking about it in that way. But I can guarantee you it was happening before that. It's just none of us had the language for it, right? And so I think part of it is the fact that we just haven't had the language. And then the other part of it, I think, is just the norms of which and the views in which work and careers are passed down to us by those around us or how we see it, right? And for a long time, it was true that uh, for many people who wanted to work in knowledge-based, knowledge worker jobs, generally speaking, a two or four-year degree was the thing that could set you on the path to having uh, a steady career of employment, however you, you know liberally define that. And I think that also contributed to it in many ways because it just meant that that was, that was the message and most people just kind of took it for what it was. And that is slowly evolving and shifting and changing. And so I think, but some of those legacy mindsets are still around it in many cases. So that, that's what kind of comes to mind for me. Mm. Yeah. And then you said, you know, to build on that, like, you know, people that haven't had the language and you were also saying we don't equip people to really be able to think about this. And so I'm curious, because you also have worked in high achieving, high performing environments. And I'm curious how both those environments and this idea of like equipping people, how does that play into this conversation of sustainable ambition and managing one's career over these kind of different arcs and horizons? I think what it does is that it, on a positive front, what it does is that when you work in high performing environments, you understand what high performance could look like right? Because it's visible. It's, you see it. You see who gets rewarded. You see what happens as a result. You see the culture, the behaviors, et cetera. The challenge often is, is when, is the, whether it's implicit or explicit around of that being the only way. Because that may not work for you. And honestly, I just literally had this conversation with someone else the other day. And the context of it was around how one of the challenges with being an effective and good mentor is if you're not actually checking some of your own experiences and biases for around how you did something, if you then pass off that advice to someone else of, of here's how you should do it, them thinking that's the only way that they can be successful, right? And so the, there's some work you need to do, I think, if you want to be a good mentor to make sure that just, just telling someone to work hard might actually be the, the raw, not the message that they need to hear in order to be successful. But within the context of the workplace, I think going back to your question, I think that one of the challenges sometimes in those environments really is around the fact of people just feeling like there is only one way to quote unquote, be successful. Right. And, and so I think there, I, I don't think that is always true in the case. And if like you looked deeper within the organization, you'd find more people, but I think for a long time, who we've chosen to celebrate and reward has been a little bit more single-minded or smaller and more insular than it could have been instead of being more expansive uh, than it could have been. And so I think that is kind of the, the, the danger there. And I think the other reality of it is just this 
uh, is going back to this idea of the fact that it is continuous. So as an example, I've done a lot of work with MBA students over the years. And one of the things that I tell uh, a lot of the MBA students that I work with all the time is like, look, like it's really important that you land a, a job that you want out of business school. But for 99.5% of you, this next job will not be your last one. And it probably won't be the last career. And so while the short-term goal is important, I think it's important to spend a little bit of time thinking more expansively about what this means for the implications of your career. And most people agree with when I say that, but it is a little bit of an unlock for them of like, oh yeah, I mean, you're right. Cause I mean, any MBA who can read, you know, reports on data, like should know and understand that anywhere between 40 to 60% of graduates from business schools end up changing their jobs within two to three years after the MBA. And so uh, I think part of it though, is just this fixation on the outcome of that specific thing that is in front of us versus shifting to a more continuous kind of mindset and approach, which is the reality for a lot of other people. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I do I do want to go back to where you also started with that response, which is around this idea of like people thinking there's only one way to be successful and or like you were saying, also a mentor being careful about that, right? And or within these high performing environments, we end up having this view of there's only one way to be successful. I, I'm going to give you an example, but I, I would love to just hear if you yeah. have another example. So for example, when I was at Clorox and I was in brand management, my perception, because I don't know that anybody ever really said this to me, but I'm sure I talked with some people about it, but my perception was that those people that were well-regarded within the organization were those that were going to become general managers, those that wanted to be on a general manager track. If you were somebody who was better for the center of excellence or for truly more deeper marketing capability, and we're going to go into the consumer, at the time, consumer promotions, it's much different now, uh, 20 years later, but you know that wasn't, in my mind, seen as like, as worthy, if you will. And yet for some of us, those paths were going to be much more successful paths and were still really important to the organization. And for me, it's not important as to like whether a general manager earns more or not. It's kind of, do you herald or do you hold up every function within an organization as being important? And a path for personal success. So that's just one example on how I'm kind of interpreting it. But there's a, certainly a number of different ways to think about how one can be successful and how to think about that. But I'm curious if you can give just some additional insight or elucidate that a little bit more to bring it to life. Yeah, well, I mean, I think the classic age-old one is that in order to move up, you have to be a manager, right? And that has so many uh, negative externalities or implications for that line of thinking. Uh, as as a result, so that's a, a, a one obvious one. Another, I would I'll call obvious. I think maybe common one is that to in order to be a leader within a specific organization, you need to be I don't know extroverted, right? Or all leaders in here are uh, you know have have extroversion or something like that. So that's that's another perhaps example of it. I think another one too is just within the context of. I would say traditionally hierarchical organizations in terms of you, there are very much companies that have upper out cultures and look like that's a stated choice and companies can choose how they want to have their culture in terms of what they want to be. But 
the flip side of it is that you lose a lot of great people who can still be really quote unquote successful, but perhaps don't exactly want to hear it exactly uh, every single you know little 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 characteristic that they they see. And so I think those are the common ones. And I would also say, and the nuance and wrinkle here is that I have been in places where I've either been someone who has tried to quote unquote be successful on different terms or have been around those people. And I do think you can do it. It, it is possible for how long you can do it and how sustainable that is, that is a whole different equation. But it is it is possible to find those areas of gray and those 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 kind of pockets, if you will, within within companies, even if there is like a pronounced culture. But what it makes me really think about though, to be completely honest, particularly in the work in organizations that I do, is how much talent have you lost because of the fact that there were people who opted out because they recognized that they were never going to be able to get the opportunities because they looked at things a different way or had a different definition of what success was. I really appreciate this because what's really interesting is I did this in my career over the course of my career where I opted out of many different potential career paths or options because of either that's not the right environment for me. It's not the right fit. And of course, you're going to make those types of choices. But it's interesting to me, like I never really had that language around it until recently where I really chose like, oh, I opted out because there were constraints there. And if things were different, I might not have opted out. It might have actually been a good fit for me. And, and so it's interesting that this is coming up. And I wanted to bring that forward out to this idea of what you might be seeing in the workplace today, because given resource constraints or this talent war that we're under, if that's, I don't know if that's the best term to use, but like a lot of companies are struggling to find talent, right? So are you starting to see people start to think about this differently so that they're starting to broaden their lens around how do we need to think about talent such that we do actually have a broader, more robust and healthy talent pool. I, I would say that on the margins, there's definitely definitely some progress and there are definitely some novel and new ways of, of thinking and approaching this from how companies have chosen to hire in terms of looking, thinking and working differently about looking in non-traditional areas that they would not have traditionally hired from in the past or perhaps maybe even reconfiguring some of those in, in initial entry-level roles in ways in which that allows them to open it up to to new opportunities, and certainly on the um, retaining talent piece, there is definitely more. I think a resurgence of an interest in internal mobility programs and opportunities uh, for individuals. Um, there, I think, is definitely some interesting work being done around things like relaunch programs or returnship programs that welcome back uh, uh, individuals who have left the workplace and want to return. And, and so those are all, I think, promising things uh, on, on my podcast, uh, The Edge of Work. I've brought on a couple founders of different companies that are doing different things to solve this. So one of them is uh, Sophie and Dave Smallwood over at Rollshare. And uh, the company is how the, the is pretty much the name where basically they work with companies to uh, post roles where two people can apply to a job and they share it. So that enables, uh, you know, particular in particular, you know, folks who either uh, want to care for a loved one uh, or like a child or something, 
a little bit more flexibility to to work, right? I just spoke with a woman who runs a job skills training program in England who they basically what they do is they teach uh, and help women who want to return to the workplace uh, how to uh, get certified uh, as a Salesforce administrator and then help them find part-time roles as Salesforce admins. I've uh, I just talked to uh, it'll be out it'll probably is out by the time this this will air uh, the founder of uh, Forage, uh, which is a company that is reinventing how um, early career talent gets gets to explore companies and opportunities. And instead of focusing on a resume, it actually focuses on a simulation where they go through the simulation and demonstrate their abilities and skills. And they're trying to democratize early career talent and hiring and removing some of the traditional barriers, you know, in terms of on, only on-campus hiring and only if for the top schools and really making it accessible to more people. And so there's definitely definitely things in pockets here and there. There's lots of ideas and innovators. And that is why uh, I started, you know, the podcast that I did is because I wanted to highlight them and a lot of things, but uh, we need more of them. Um, and uh, and we, we need more resources and we need more people who are willing to think differently about how we bring in people uh, to the workplace and then how do we develop and grow them so that they can contribute. Oh, I'm so happy to hear about these examples because I get excited. Of course, you and I geek out on this stuff, but I get excited hearing about these examples. And, you know, this idea of job sharing, it's shocking to me that this has not been something that's been more prominent. So interesting. I look forward to looking into these. And even the last one that you talked about with Forage sounds really cool, all of them. So I'm really excited about this. So when you're saying, and it's true, like we need more of this. And so and it's on the fringe that there like changes are happening. So you talked about earlier that we don't often give people the tools. And so I'm curious if you have just a couple tips out around, okay, career operating system, you know, keeping on top of your OS, making sure that you're updating it. If people aren't being given the tools, where might you point them? One to two, one to three things that you might say like, hey, put some attention here. Sure. So I'll do one kind of internal facing and one kind of external facing. The one internal facing, which I think is just something we've talked a lot about, about a lot, is just this idea of this continuous self-reflection and just being able to uh, continuously make time for yourself, whether it is by default or design, uh, to think about where you are uh, today in your career, what's working, uh, what do you want to do more of, what do you want to do less of, or if you have a specific aspiration that you want to explore, uh, I think that that's even better. Um, but I know that a lot of times uh, not everyone has something right away. And so just getting into that regular and consistent mindset of 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 doing that for yourself, I think is a, is a, is always a good place to start, even if things are going well. Uh, I think it just it never hurts to do one of those level set checks. So one thing for externally, I would say is uh, one of the things I often talk a lot about is this idea of uh, the uh, the the uh, of of being a part of a career community. Um, and so there's a famous, uh, there's a famous architect, uh, Ray Oldenburg, who coined the concept of the third place, which was back in the 1970s and 80s, or just this idea that after home and and, and work, uh, people congregated in community together in these social spaces, right, uh, as a means to foster connection, uh, build relationships, and just be a part of something that's bigger than themselves. And so while I think Oldenburg really was more about physical spaces, I think in today's kind of technology-driven age, we have a ton of digital third places, uh, as well as some in-person ones, uh, but they're all around communities devoted to professional development and career development. And so I think that that would be another thing 
of just being able to kind of externally be a part of something. And I think what that does is it keeps your eyes on certainly what's going on outside of just your day to day. But what it also does is that it keeps you in concert with other or uh, connected to other people. And opportunities happen when other people are aware of who you are and what you do and can associate a potential opportunity with a person. And so this kind of duality, though, of having this inner kind of work and this outer kind of work, I think is what helps people really hone that operating system they have and to figure out the direction they want to go in to stand out in the workplace or lead or develop success, however they define it. Mm, I really love this. And I love how you're talking about them being really symbiotic and working together. And I know we talked about community last time as well. And I think this is really important. And I just did an episode on this, on the importance of work relationships. And I didn't, I kind of threw it in as a last tip to kind of be a part of these external communities. And I love that you're bringing that forward because as you're saying, it's so important in terms of, like you said earlier, if you're not aware of it, how do you know if it's even a possibility? And by being a part of these BARDA groups, you can start to get exposure and really understand what might be possible. So I really appreciate that. I did want to ask you, Al, you know, you and I are passionate about this. We think it's important for people to focus here. And yet I can kind of see potentially some people, maybe not the people listening to this podcast, but Maybe, you know, because it's called sustainable ambition and some people really lean into that sustainable part of it, meaning I want more to really learn how to integrate my life and work. And there's, that's of course a part of my platform as well. And I'm during this time of the pandemic and people really experiencing overload, getting burnt out, et cetera. I, I get this sense that like, you know, being really career forward and maybe being ambition forward can kind of be looked down upon in a different way, right? It's kind of like, don't you know, we're all burnt out. Why are you guys talking about this? Why are you telling us to kind of essentially lean in and or pay attention? And yet I don't think these are mutually exclusive, right? And if if anything, actually, they're probably more complementary to each other um, than not. And yet I don't know if everybody out in the world kind of sees them that way. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, I think what it ultimately comes back to for me is this idea of agency and trying to live by design, right? Versus just default. And I think it is an empowering choice to make to kind of say, for right now, I don't really care about trying to advance in this specific moment or this specific journey of my life, this season of my life, because for whatever reason that it is. And I think for me, it is just about giving people the permission and the tools to make that stated choice for themselves versus having it done to them by by default. So I, I don't think it is, I agree with you. I don't think it's necessarily mutually exclusive. It's just, to me, it is more just about empowering people with the tools and the language to to and to give themselves, um, uh, as our mutual friend Jenny Blake would say, I give hereby give you permission to to do a certain way or to think a certain thing. And so if if that is what you need right now, that is absolutely 100%. I, I think that is critical and important for you to take that step in. It's just more of the self-awareness that that is a stated choice and just making sure that it's not just something you're doing just because you don't have any other, other you haven't thought about it in any other way. And so I think that that's what it comes back to for me. But it, I think it's totally perfectly fine if you're kind of, you know, I and that's the thing for me, right? Like I've always kind of, you know, my, my, you know, I think that 
work is a place where you can get a lot of growth and development from. But I know that not everyone feels the same way and that's okay. But I just want more people to have that ability to have that choice, right? And and also to to evolve that if they need to in any direction. So that's what it stands out to me, at least for. No, I love this. And I want to just a couple more questions on this. And then I think I'm going to do a quick lightning round before we wrap up now. But I... I've been talking about this uh, idea of agency versus structure a little bit with folks. And I'd love to get your perspective around it because especially as you're talking about these examples, we've been talking about structure a lot, right? It's kind of like, how do you break away from these structures, both societally, how society thinks about work and then how companies structure work and how they evaluate and fit people into their work structures. And yet we're both saying, and I think would advocate, step into your agency. And yet sometimes it's hard to step into that agency. And it really, I think we talked about this last time, takes a lot of courage to do that. And yet, like you, I also advocate that people do this. And yet I can still see people listening to it and being like, ugh, but you know, I still need to fit into these structures and or how do I, how do I truly step into my agency? And I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. It's a good question. And I, I struggle with this one sometimes because I, I do believe everyone has agency. And I also understand how systems work. And it's very hard for someone who is not in an official position of power or significant influence to override, entirely override a system, particularly if the system was not designed or meant to help them succeed in the first place, in particular, for certain for certain populations of people. So I, I want to qualify that statement or want to qualify my answer by suggesting that. But what what I what I would say, and this kind of goes back to for at least for me, is is community of being able to have a team behind you to support you, to provide guidance that you can go to for support, for feedback, for thought partnership, uh, for ideas, uh, to get you to help increase your social capital, whatever it ends up being. I think is the antidote to a lot of this because I think there is a duality that exists where you can be both very driven to pursue your own version of success as an individual and still also be a part of the collective. I don't think rugged individualism has to necessarily counteract any type of collective thinking. I think they can be done in concert. And so the reality of it is though, particularly if you are not someone who is in a position of power, you probably will be able to go further faster when you are aligning with others around you uh, who can give you feedback, give you guidance, get you in rooms that you could never be in yourself. And so I think community is the antidote to, to that, or at least that's how I would think about it. I really appreciate that. And I wholeheartedly agree, Al. I was actually just recently listening to a podcast that made me really think about like, And I'm starting to say like community is a force multiplier for so many reasons. And also where you can find courage because there was actually some, this podcast episode, it was a hidden brain episode. I'll have to put it in the show notes because I'm not going to remember the academic who was on and all the details, but she did some really interesting research around people making decisions and having what types of decisions they make when they're actually have people around them and they actually make more ambitious choices. And that doesn't necessarily mean leaning in per se, but leaning in in a particular way. Like the one example she gave this person of an individual was somebody who 
was a partner at a law firm who was actually choosing. She's like, I want to step back. And her friend was wanting to step forward. But that person who wanted to step back, and I shouldn't even say step back. It's really putting their attention elsewhere, their ambitions elsewhere. And they actually felt more supported because, and and felt more confident and had more courage in taking that step because of the support from the community or her friends. So I found that really, really fascinating. Mm -hmm. So I appreciate you bringing that forward. Well, let me close with just a few lightning round questions, if I could, Al. Um, Are you game for this? I'm game. All right. So the first one is, how do you define success for yourself? I would say success for myself is being able to do great work with the people that I want to work with and to also use my talents, my unique talents and gifts that make a dent in the world. Mm, Love it. What's your favorite way to pause and take a break? I would say being able to go for a walk and either listen to a podcast or just quite frankly, to go for a walk and just be with my thoughts. Um, Another tactical one, I have been purposely putting one day every two weeks on my calendar uh, as a golfing day. And so I just block the whole day and play golf. So if anyone's ever looking at my calendar and there's not an available day, it's a decent chance I could be at the golf course. I love that. And um, I'm curious, well, I'll leave this, but I'm like, oh, that's a two for one. You can think while out on the golf course, but I'm not yep. a golfer. You're like, no, focused on the game. Um, what's a structure you've put in place at work or at home that helps you sustain yourself? That might be one, the, the blocking off a of Friday. Is there another? That is definitely one. I would say... Another one would just be shutting my computer when I realized I can't do anymore. I, I think I used to be able to, I used to have a desire to fight through it. And now I just close it. doesn't matter. As long as I'm not in a meeting with someone or there's like an impending deliverable due, I'll just close it and start up the next day. What's your top productivity tip? I would say that <laughs> because anything past that, the diminishing returns for me. And what's one thing you can't live without? Coffee. Yeah, I would say coffee. I'm with you on that one. Al, this has been great. Thank you so much for coming back and going deeper on this topic. Of course, it's one that you and I both love. As just a closing question, what's one thing people can do to make work better for themselves? I would say find a thing that they do insanely well that they can do better than anyone else and find as many ways to use it in the service of something that is bigger than themselves. Mm, great. Wonderful. What a great tip to end with. Al, what can we do for you? Where can people find you these days? I know on I know on LinkedIn, but where else? Yep. They can connect with me on LinkedIn or they can check out the Edge of Work podcast where we talk to idea or innovators as well as ide- ideators about who are building the future of work and trying to make work better for all of us. Awesome. Wonderful. And of course, I'll capture that in the show notes. So Al, this is great. Thank you again for doing it. It was wonderful to be in conversation with you. Of course, anytime. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Sustainable Ambition Podcast. I hope you take away at least one learning or inspiration from today's conversation. Find more inspiring interviews and get show notes for this episode at sustainableambition.com slash podcast. Make sure you don't miss an episode or my insider tips, guides, and tools by signing up for Sustainable Ambition Forum, my twice-monthly newsletter. Sign up at sustainableambition.com slash subscribe. 
And remember, it's not about finding work-life balance. It's about building work-life resilience. Thanks again for joining me. Speak with you next time.